Shalom everyone, welcome back to another episode of After Hours. Uh, we've got another great show lined up for you, coming from a frosty, cold northern England. Uh, hopefully we've got some hot topics to warm you up with this time of year. Um, yeah, we've got some good stuff lined up. We've got some exorcism stuff, we've got some Amish hemp farmers, we've got some satanic uh, reproductive rights to discuss. Um, so yeah, uh, again, a lot to get through, a lot to condense from the uh, the weird, weird uh, ramblings of the four corners of this earth. So uh, again, thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking the time to uh, to be with me today. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get straight into it. Um, now, our first topic uh, is something that was, I guess, has been made popular over a period of time. Uh, and it has been synonymous with uh, some parts of the the church in uh, in the public domain, uh, and that's the the, the realm of uh, exorcisms. And um, I came across this article in the uh, the Daily Express, United States. It's the the apocalyptic fears for the end of world sparked the perfect hotbed for a global rise in exorcisms. Um. Now, obviously, we're familiar with those who are in the the, the deliverance ministry uh, predominantly, who deal with the casting out of demons and um, these uh, uh, these situations where people uh, are looking for a form of deliverance from uh, oppression or possession, uh, cleansing of homes, um, which I think has been in and around the public consciousness for for a time memorial, but. Uh, obviously has been made uh, more popular by films, TV, uh, and things of that nature. Um, and this article just goes into uh, the realms of how uh, the number of performed exorcisms is on the rise, uh, endangering safety over apocalyptic fears. So it's uh, discussing the realms of uh, things taking place in the public, which increase fear, uh, which... Uh, are pulling people towards the world of, of, of exorcism. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into the article and just uh, share some thoughts in and around the uh, the area. So, um, while belief in religion is at an all-time low in the US, uh, nearly 60% of Americans still believe in hell and the devil. Uh, in the midst of this shifting religious landscape, exorcisms, which is the ritual of purging someone from demonic possession, have been on the rise, uh, a boom that spans not only the United States, but beyond. Uh, Andrew Chesnut, a chair of Catholic Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University, says, no doubt there is a global exorcism boom, uh, not just in the US, but also in Latin America. Uh, Again, our our Catholic friends over there are, uh, shall we say, doing the work (laughs) And have historically been doing the work of of, of exorcism, and uh, we'll, we'll perhaps discuss that a bit more at length. Uh, the driving force behind this surge, according to Chestnut, is Pentecostalism, uh, a branch of Christianity emphasizing the power of the Holy Spirit, which has rapidly become the most expansive brand of Christianity worldwide since its inception in Los Angeles in 1905. 
now, Pentecostals were pioneers in openly embracing exorcisms in the 70s and 80s. Uh, taking these rituals out of the shadows and even holding special exorcisms en masse on Friday nights. Uh, feeling the pressure from this burgeoning movement, the Catholic Church responded by mainstreaming Catholic exorcisms, uh, by training more priests to perform them, thus trying to capitalize on their demand. Uh, according to Chestnut, it's a free market of faith. Uh, if you want to compete, uh, you have to offer the goods and services that people want, uh, which I think this is quite an interesting um, dynamic to the conversation of deliverance and, and exorcism because uh, obviously if you look from a scriptural point of view, it's in there. Uh, it, we're, we're instructed to go out and cast out demons. Uh, Yeshua, uh, Jesus did it many times himself. Um, so uh, it should be um, a part, a facet of, of what we see in the faith. However, you see this uh, uh, the commodifying of this gift, of this um, instruction in terms of uh, almost like a business, a supply and demand, um, uh, yeah, business-like transaction, which is, uh, uh, which is quite strange, really. Um, obviously, uh, the Catholic Church and, and, and priests uh, have been doing this for, for a long time and have been synonymous with, with exorcisms. I just thought it was an interesting um, tie-in. Now, um, uh, we just see there uh, an advert for a, one of the latest Exorcist films. Uh, again, this is not something I would I would recommend to go watch. I mean, I, I remember watching the original film from, uh, I think it's William William Peter Blatty's original uh, film. Uh, I think it was made in the late 70s, early 80s, and that, uh, yeah, that gave me some nightmares to say the least. But um, it was a, a movie that was so popular, um, and it, the premise being the classic archetype of a, of a priest in the name of Jesus uh, casting out and wrestling with a demon, a d- demonic possession of a, of a young girl. And in so many, so many of these movies, it's, it's a young girl or it's a, a female lead who's under this oppression. And you have this hero uh, priest who comes in and performs the exorcism and, 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 and somewhat is the blueprint for the, uh, for the, the story, the archetype story of, of, of what an exorcism consists of. And there's just been a plethora of, of horror movies made since then uh, under that guise. And uh, what's interesting is that um, in this archetype, it would be uh, good versus evil, um, God versus, well, Jesus versus uh, the devil, as it were. Um, again, that's not a necessarily a biblical construct. It's a version of... of, of uh, pre- presenting uh, the fight of good and evil, um, and uh, yeah, so we have this this uh, root of uh, a priest casting out uh, versus uh, demonic or devilish entities, which is uh, I think is fairly based. Um, but you have uh, in in this latest uh, incarnation of the Exorcist film has actually gone a bit coexist, uh, a bit ecumenical, where uh, apparently you have different people from different faiths who are. Uh, called in to exercise or uh, to, to to get rid of to cast out this this demon from his child uh, not necessarily under the name of Jesus but just under any faith and they're all united together to but again uh, I digress um, it's just an interesting um, uh, commentary on the state of uh, this kind of interfaith movement and how it's permeated through into even the horror genres <laughs> even even uh, 
even the, the 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 horror films have become woke to a certain extent, which is uh, yeah, obviously nothing's out of the reach of of the uh, of the narratives. Anyway, so Professor Deepak Sama from Case Western Reserve University observes that the U.S. has long been a hub for spiritualism. Uh, you can't argue that. Uh, although the emphasis on individuality has made it the perfect hotbed for developing exorcism practices. He says, many more people have moved away from institutional religious uh, religion uh, towards spirituality. Uh, you know, that classic, like, I'm not religious, but uh, yeah, I'm really spiritual. It's like, well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, right, where individuals are able to, to pick and choose doctrines, practices, rituals, and in this case, purifying and healing endeavors from across any number of religions. Uh, this toolbox approach empowers individuals to be able to act on their own without bowing before religious institutions uh, and hierarchies, um, which is, um, it sound, again, it sounds good on paper to, to the secular progressive, but um, to, the, to the biblical truth of, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and it is only by the name of Jesus are you able to uh, cast these demons out um effectively um but here we've got another um mode of being able to do so but if the u.s has always been a potential breeding ground for performing exorcisms why is the boom seemingly only happening now um so as i said it's been something that's always been familiar to uh, uh the populace but why is it on the increase? Now, Chestnut suggests that the rise in exorcisms may be linked to global anxiety uh, about world events, uh, with religious individuals interpreting these as potential signs of impending apocalypse in an era marked by global challenges like the pandemic and geopolitical conflicts such as Russia and Ukraine, as well as Israel and Palestine, the belief of demonic possession and its cure provides a seemingly rational uh, solution. So painting this picture here that the world's going to pot and so people are turning to exorcisms, which is uh, a bit strange. Uh, now, this rise is cause for concern for many reasons, uh, one being individual safety. Uh, th now, this is, this is curious because um, how... Uh, uh, deliverance or exorcism can can get into this realm is is quite a uh, a weird weird question really but uh, just this past year a four-year-old boy in north carolina died and his adoptive parents were accused of subjected subjecting him to an exorcism uh, additionally in 2022 in northern carolina uh, northern california sorry uh, individual individuals were arrested after a three-year-old girl died uh, following a ceremony at a tiny Pentecostal church in San Jose. Um, there is also growing concern about the connection between these practices and the rise of far-right ideologies. Uh, Chestnut explains that public exorcisms are being leveraged for conservative, moral, and political agendas. Um, yeah, so we have this um, uh, almost like a, a besmirching uh, of... Uh, what an exorcism could actually be if if people are dying, if children are dying as a result and that it's connected to this practice, um, you know, making that link towards uh, how it's uh, it potentially could be a dangerous thing for individuals to engage in. Uh, it's, it's a bit strange. Uh, now, examples include a bishop performing an exorcism on the entire city of Portland in 2020, 
similar, similarly, uh, Archbishop Salvatore Cordeloni, Cordiglioni, <laughs> Cordiglioni uh, conducted an exorcism in San Francisco in 2020, claiming evil is present here after protesters toppled a statue. So you're telling me in the city of uh, San Francisco, it takes a toppled statue for a guy to recognize that there's evil present. Uh, I'm sure there would have been many indicators prior to that. But anyway, uh, in 2021, uh, a Wisconsin priest also live streamed exorcisms, uh, falsely linking them to widespread voting fraud, highlighting a troubling connection between far right ideologies and the surge in exorcisms. Uh, Professor Deepak Sama also underscores how exorcisms used to treat sexual orientation or gender identity that aligns with conservative values. Uh, that's something we've touched on in previous episodes with regards to um, the uh, uh, the conversion therapy and the conversion camps and, and the dangers and the perceptions around that. Uh, he says exorcisms are now being deployed uh, to address or explain away non non normative heteronormative sexual orientation, attributing it to demonic possessions, uh, allowing families to deny the agency uh, of their loved ones. Um, so some some interesting stuff in there. Uh, I think the uh, the premise of people turning to exorcisms, to looking for a, a spiritual answer to some very uh, practical problems it, it, it is probably something that we'll see a rise of or we have been seeing a rise of uh with people coming towards a a form of spiritual spirituality uh but denying the power of god uh, in the meantime uh it's something that's been on the rise for a long time but um yeah i i think it uh really begs some really interesting questions with regards to um not only just uh, how the public perceives exorcism, but what really exorcism and deliverance pertains to in uh, in the church. So, um, just uh, just some thoughts on that. Uh, I think uh, the, pre- the one of the questions I ask myself is: is what does uh, what does exorcism and, and deliverance look like within uh, a believer's walk? Um, on the whole, you know, uh, it's said in the word that, you know, I'll paraphrase, uh, once you clean your house, be prepared for, for many more to come back once your house is empty. Because if you, uh, if you don't fill your house with your, your, your temple, as it were, with the Holy Spirit, with, with things of God, uh, be prepared for things to come back that aren't, uh, of God to, uh, yeah, to cause cause trouble and mischief, to to say the least. So, um, is it um, biblical to have like a one on one one and done situation where you have somebody pray for you that you go for a, a session of deliverance, uh, a purification, as it were, uh, both in your home or as a person, and uh, for that to be sufficient? Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, me personally, I feel that a uh, an obedience and a a genuine walk and relationship with God will be uh, deliverance uh, within that. Again, we're not getting into deep um, theological uh, discussions with regards to the biblical application of of what deliverance is and and all of that. But just anecdotally, my opinion is that uh, there is protection uh, when you're in covenant 
when you're in relationship with God and to uh, to do your best to walk in his commandments, to walk in his ways and his statutes, uh, you'll find in the process of sanctification, uh, more protection and even exposure to the demonic as a form of growth, uh, as a form of uh, sanctification. Um, so this uh, Hollywood idea that, um, you know, a priest comes in, says some prayers, um, is sufficient enough for one to be uh, walking safely um, uh, in protection. Uh, is that actually sufficient? And, um, you know, it, it's interesting, one, because we do have uh, a lot of specific deliverance ministries who do cast out uh, demons, and um, that is basically their calling. That is what they do. Uh, m- me personally, I, I, again, I find a... I've not had any personal experience with regards to dealing with, uh, you know, an exorcism or, or casting out uh, demons in that way. Um, but I, I have this, uh, you know, th- th- this uh, premise or understanding that uh, demonic oppression and, and, and maybe even possession isn't necessarily coming in the form of, you know, some grotesque, uh, malformed, physical... Um, a physically visible or easily physically visible uh, thing that we can actually wrestle with. Uh, quite often it can be a lot more insidious, a lot more subtle. Uh, it can be people's behaviours. It can be addiction patterns. It can be um, for, thoughts, feelings, emotions. Uh, we know that we are subject to the, to, to the malek, to the messengers of, of the spiritual realm, albeit good and bad messengers, and how we then... Um, deal with that on a day-to-day basis so uh, I think possession and and, uh, and oppression can 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 come in some many different forms and even if you look at it from a perspective of um, psychology psychoanalysis you know if you go from that premise that everything that is physical is a manifestation of what is f- uh, spiritual and vice versa uh, it can then paint a very uh, practical um tangible picture as to what uh, how the demonic manipulate uh, believers and people in the world alike um so yeah just just some thoughts and uh, again if uh, if there's anything in there that you you feel is uh, is correct or incorrect um yeah please let me know um again it's it's a it's a big subject. It's a big area, um, but I just thought the uh, the premise of how people are, are looking for for exorcisms for, for very uh, practical uh, problems is uh, is an interesting uh, interesting uh, area. So there we go. So can um, deliverance be found um, through uh, uh, another party? Um, how crucial is obedience to the word of God in in form of uh, deliverance? Um, is deliverance a, a, an actual thing? You know, is it something that we're to engage with, or or is it something to be um, 
instructed and discipled over a longer period of time so um yeah just with just some food for thoughts as ever uh, hit me up in the comments let me know what you think subject now um if you've not watched it already um i just did a uh, a podcast with ellie on the subject of um reproductive rights i believe is the um is the pc term and um yeah it was really powerful it was uh um it was a difficult, uh, difficult show to record for different reasons, but uh, praise you, we got it out, and um, yeah, appreciate the feedback on that one. But um, yeah, just to just to touch on that area again, uh, this is uh, this is an article that's come up uh, within the last week or so. Which uh, again, it, it's just it, it's just fascinating when we see biblical principles uh, filter through into mainstream uh, mainstream media. And how that's presented, and um, how that could potentially uh, be received. So, um, yeah, if you've seen this, this is um, actually straight from the uh, the Satanic Temples website, uh, the uh, organization founded by Anton Levey uh, uh, a couple of decades ago. Now, just to preface this um, uh, this subject. One thing about the Satanic Temple is that they love to present themselves as a uh, almost a mythos-based religion where they conform to a set of rules and guidelines based on very Satanic iconography and symbolism and, and principles, but deny a direct veneration or worship of Satan directly. So it's almost like, a for me, it's like a cop-out. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we use all the symbolism, but we're not really... You know, it's 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 all about a humanistic, scientific approach to life. Um, again, it's an appropriation of a moral structure, and then twisting it to a uh, a narrative that suits man rather than God, essentially uh, putting it politely. So, with that being said, we've got the Satanic Temple here, and um, they've recently had an article um, published in Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh, so the satanic abortion clinic that's peed off pretty much everyone and it might beat the bands anyway. So at first glance, the satanic temple's new telehealth venture named after Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito Jr.'s mum uh, seems like a social experiment in trolling. But as Cosmo reports, the fully creden uh, credentialed clinic is serving real patients and has a real chance of breaking the religious rights grip on abortion law. So uh, in this... Um, the, the Satanic Temple prefaced this. The TST, the Satanic Temple's Health, Health's inaugural clinic, received the honour of being featured on the cover of Cosmopolitan Magazine's November-December issue, uh, a publication uh, that reaches millions worldwide. Uh, this milestone was not just a celebration of our clinic, but a powerful testament to the importance of our fight for religious reproductive rights. 
again, we discussed this previously that the premise of reproductive rights is code word, I believe, for, for murder, essentially, when you get down to it and child sacrifice. But again, I refer you back to the other uh, podcast. Um, our feature in Cosmopolitan is a monumental moment in our ongoing battle to protect bodily autonomy. Uh, the article brings national attention to our innovative approach to reproductive rights through our first telehealth abortion clinic. Uh, the Samuel Alito's mum satanic abortion clinic, curious name, but there is a, a reason for that, uh, and highlights our legal arguments to protect our members' religious right to practice the abortion ritual. As we continue to break barriers and challenge oppressive laws, we are grateful for platforms like Cosmopolitan that help to elevate our efforts and grow support for our future clinics. Now, why should we care about this? Why should we care about what the Satanic Temple is doing? Well, first of all, the uh, Cosmopolitan itself is a massive publication um, with a readership of hundreds of thousands. It's been around for a long time, and it's essentially a handbook for a lot of women um, uh, Dare I say it's a feminist uh, dream world uh, in terms of the uh, uh, how can I say the veneration and, and the, the the worship of, of feminism in its uh, kind of you know career girl sexual liberation all of that stuff it's it's uh, uh, yeah it's all about that basically and it's got a massive um, readership um, and has been in popular culture for a long time. Um, the uh, interesting element is when we get to see the marrying up of um, reproductive rights with a religious right to practice the abortion ritual. So this is when language um, starts to get, uh, to get very... Uh, interesting to say the least because it when when we have a religious uh, ideology or theology behind it it then changes the nature of the foundation of the practice itself so we have an emerging and amalgamation of what is deemed a medical clinical um, procedure over of a woman's reproductive rights and now we're having this amalgamation of uh, a religious practice or ritual uh, attached to that uh, which actually raises some interesting um, questions on both sides both pro-life and pro-choice uh, resist on resistance on both sides so uh, so the article itself uh, again it's um, it's the production value and everything is very smart it's very um, on point and again it's that kind of classic pentagram horn devil um presentation of of satan that that hollywood sat satanic panic vibe which is um isn't conducive to the reality of of you know how satan comes as an angel of light essentially this is this is very um yeah that macabre dark uh type which isn't i you know again that's a, that's a different thing but um so the article itself uh, let's have a look. Um, 
So Rose Francisco Alito gave birth in, on April Fool's Day, 1950. Hundreds of women would die that year from botched illegal abortions in the United States, where the procedure had been wide, widely banned for decades. But here in the Alito household in suburban New Jersey, all was grand. Uh, Rose thrilled at her new motherhood. Uh, she was a school teacher, then a principal. Her husband Sam was a teacher too, then a director in state government. Uh, their son, named after his father, would go on to do important things someday. Rose could feel it. When she died in 2013, Samuel Alito Jr. was all grown up with a big fancy job on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it's unlikely that Rose ever considered abortion for herself. Uh, a few years before she passed away, she told reporters she opposed it. Uh, but what if her circumstances had been different? If her own life had been endangered by the pregnancy of the fetus had a... or if her own life had been endangered by the pregnancy or if the fetus had a fatal anomaly or if Rose simply hadn't been ready for a child? Uh, what if she'd had a choice and access to safe legal abortion care? Uh, nearly 75 years later in a reproductive rights landscape that feels like it's sliding back in time, uh, one group decided to channel this policy fantasy into a new healthcare enterprise named in her honour. Uh, so we're not going to get into the whys and wherefores of the moral um, conundrums facing the whys and wherefores of why people choose to do this thing, because that's a whole different thing in itself. Um, so um, Samuel Alito's mum's satanic abortion clinic. Does it sound like pure clickbait? Sure. But beneath the outlandish branding lies a sincere mission. The New Mexico-based telehealth practice, a legitimate med medical entity run by an accredited uh, clinical team, uh, offers abortion care to patients within state lines. Uh, the staff prescribes abortion pills at 91 bucks per set, uh, a competitive price by all accounts, uh, up until the 11th week of pregnancy and offers 24-7 phone access to licensed medical personnel to anyone in need. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary in terms of services that are available, but here's the kicker. It's just that they're also Satanists, members of a religious organization called the Satanic Tem Temple. Need a minute? Not a problem. This marrying of lightning rod concept is a lot. Intentionally so. As the Satanic Temple attempts to take pervasive moral panic and flip it on its head, utilizing Satanists' reputation for defiance to expand access to urgent health care. And again, like most things in this uh, world, it's presented as health care, as, uh, you know, we talked about Planned Parenthood, which is actually uh, in, in its language and description is the opposite. It's planned uh, killing. <laughs> it's like. <coughs> The uh, Satanic Temple are, are very good, very slick at um, finding the lawyers, finding the loopholes, finding the legisla legislation in order to um, do their, their, their evil bidding, essentially. Never mind that Satanists don't actually worship the devil. There are no ritual sacrifices or quests for supernatural powers at TST. In reality, Satanism is a non-theistic faith in which TST roughly 1.5 million global members view Satan more like a mascot, uh, one depicted not as a dark omniscient deity, but as a literary character, a venerable symbol of rebellion, rational inquiry, personal sovereignty, and resistance against tyranny. Followers champion science, religious diversity, and separation of church and state, says Chalice Blythe, an ordained minister of Satan, 
and the group's spokesperson for reproductive rights. They're so slick with it. So slick with it. Oh, no, no, it's not, it's not like Satan's a real uh, entity or being. It's not like, you know, good and evil's an actual force. It's just we like to advocate for the rights of the individual. It's so slick and uh, rank. Uh, Satan symbolizes activism too. Um, again, it's that symbology, you know, uh, the iconography that's used. It, it's We know that symbols have power and there's a source to them. It's not just some logo that's floating around in, in the ether that's not doing anything. Anyway, uh, since its founding in 2013, TST has campaigned against harmful pseudoscience in mental health care settings, threatened school districts with legal action over harsh disciplinary practices like corporal punishment and solitary confinement, and launched and continues to lead a national crusade against so-called crisis pregnancy centres, which many organisations condemn as fake clinics that exist to deceive and dissuade patients from obtaining real abortion care. Well, that's a lie because there are many uh, crisis pregnancy centers that deal strategically in the care and assistance of those who are vulnerable and are in vulnerable situations when it comes to uh, pregnancy. Um, you know, things like uh, the abuse of corporal punishment and solitary confinement are arguably um, strategies of discipline that have been abused by certain um, institutional powers, whether it be the military, whether it be schooling system, whether it be social care, health care, all of these institutions are um, uh, circumspect to, um, yeah, the abuse of, of these uh, these uh, acts. And then the satanic temple slides in with their hotshot lawyers and they start um, manipulating it to um, assist this uh, this narrative. Real sneaky stuff. TST is also known for its guerrilla... Uh, I'm not even going to mention that because that's just uh, not pleasant. Um, uh, even with all this, Samuel Leto's mum's satanic abortion clinic marked an audacious step from abortion activism to abortion care. By TST's accounting, no other faith-based group in the US has ever launched an abortion clinic. Uh, that's the game-changing twist here. Unlike other abortion pill-by-mail providers like Hey Jane or Abuzz, TST is a religion, meaning its patients who don't have to be Satanists themselves are participating in a religious ritual. Uh, that's a key legal distinction. TST hopes to leverage in its historic push to expand its clinic model beyond New Mexico into states where abortion is otherwise banned. Again, that's another crunch point where they're trying to um, push legislation into other states in America to make this uh, a viable uh, practice are using a religious uh, backdrop in order to uh, manipulate the legalities to do so, whereas uh, keeping it as a just a, a straight um, medical practice may not give them the leverage to, to, to do it. So again, it's a very, I have to say, it's a smart, um, it's a smart move. And again, there's this premise where like you don't want to add fuel to the fire with these individuals by going, oh, shock, horror, I can't believe they're doing this. And they sort of almost play on on the the reaction to it, uh, particularly the evangelical right in America, who are like ah, that, you know, they're looking for that reaction. When in reality, the uh, the percentage of uh, the effect that they're having overall is actually really minimal, but they've got great coverage, and it actually um, gives the appearance of something a lot bigger than it is. So it 
bear that in mind when, when we go into this. But the premise being that this is a, a forerunner, this is a, a blueprint for what could uh, expand in the future and what we can expect uh, to, um, uh, yeah, to, to be more prevalent. Um, where are we? Okay. Seven months after the first clinic's opening and 15 months after Alito Jr. wrote the conservative majority opinion in Dobbs, uh, the ruling that gutted America's hard-won uh, federal abortion protections, uh, Cosmopolitan caught up with TST organizers and clinic staff. Uh, there have been challenges, including pushback from leaders in the abortion rights movement itself, uh, and patient turnout has been low. Uh, as of late summer, about 50 people had come through the clinic's virtual doors, but that's okay because this isn't the end game. It's only step one. As I just said, it's, it's you know, there's a bigger strategy at play here. Uh, now, this is where it starts to get, um, well, if it wasn't strange enough already, this is where the reality of it starts to come to fruition. I think it's genius, says Jessica, over a hands-free while driving her kids around Albuquerque running errands. The 37-year-old mother of three isn't a Satanist, but as of this week, she's a fan. Uh, she's also pregnant, but not for long. A set of abortion pills is waiting for her back home, thanks to speedy shipping via Samuel Alito's mum's satanic team. Uh, Jessica and her husband don't want any more children, uh, especially given a history of super high-risk pregnancies. Still, it's hard. It's hard decision. Uh, she says she's decided to terminate this pregnancy within the next day or so, starting with an oral uh, mifepristone pill uh, in the morning, followed by four misoprostol uh, pill administ administered vaginally uh, six hours later. Um, she stumbled uh, upon the clinic while Googling options for abortion medication in New Mexico. Uh, at first, while clicking through the website, Jessica found TST's vibe kind of off-putting, uh, as she was raised Catholic but is no longer religious. Uh, nevertheless, the price was right, uh, and anyway, she prides herself on being open-minded. Uh, I did some more research before I reached out, she says. Like, what is this? How do they operate? Are you able to see a practitioner? You are. And Jessica was pleasantly surprised by the TST intake consult she did at home over Zoom. Uh, the experience was just very supportive, she says. I think that's the biggest thing. They really reinforce that this is your decision and your choice and that you are supported. She listened with curiosity as the nurse described the optional ceremonial aspects of the satanic abortion ritual. Now, this, again, this is where it starts to get uh, more interesting because this is the ritualistic element to it. Um, first, you need a quiet space uh, bring a mirror if you can. Uh, just before taking the medication, gaze at your reflection and focus on your personhood. Home in on your intent, your responsibility to you. Take a few deep, relaxing breaths. When you're ready, read the following tenet aloud. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Take the medication and immediately afterward recite. Belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to one's beliefs. Um, which it, that's like pure Crowley. Um, do as thou wilt. Spiel. Uh, later, once your body expels the aborted tissue, uh, return to your reflection. 
Focus again on your personhood, your power in making this decision. Complete the ritual by reciting a personal personal affirmation. By my body, my blood, by my will, it is done. That's some sick stuff. Uh, we always pray your will be done, not ours. Um, but this is this is literally um, demonic. Um, the ritual allows for personalization. Patients can include as many loved ones as they'd like or light candles or even dress up. Uh, whatever makes them feel empowered. We have ministers, myself included, who are available to walk people through the process. Uh, Jessica decided to incorporate some ceremonial aspects into her solo abortion excuse me, experience. Why not, she thought. The overall messaging just clicked with her. So it just... It's a very it's a very grim uh, premise of um, attaching a, a very macabre, uh, dark, which um, practice which would have been uh, maybe done behind closed doors and would have been uh, something that was hidden and occultic in terms of a, a ritualistic approach to um, killing a child. Uh, is now actually being yeah popularized and and diluted for the sake of uh, making an individual feel empowered or or um, in control of 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 that decision. Um, so just extremely curious. Um, now the Satanic chose New Mexico for a few reasons. It has three thousand three hundred members in the state, a robust state of potential need. New Mexico is also considered an abortion rights stronghold. Uh, lacking oppressive laws dictating gestational limits, age restrictions, waiting periods, and mandatory counseling. Here, unlike in neighboring states in Texas uh, and Oklahoma, it's still legal for doctors and nurse practitioners to prescribe abortion pills remotely and have them mailed to patients for safe use at home. Uh, anyone traveling to New Mexico from out of state can use a P.O. box or a friend or family member's address, even a hotel. So they're not making this difficult. Uh, in order to obtain um, the resources. Uh, in practice, opening a virtual clinic in New Mexico is not particularly radical. Uh, when it became planning, uh, when it began planning in earnest last summer, TST had just, had just had to navigate the usual administrative hurdles like checking processing boxes and figuring out how to block online trolls from clogging up the patient intake system. Uh, it was only after it ironed out its startup kinks uh, and publicized its name that the real rebellion began. The predictable wave of fury from conservative media was, was instant. Uh, one Fox News column, columnist denounced the clinic as a sinister charade and an assault on religious freedom. Uh, hundreds of commenters chimed in to agree. Uh, this is meant to enrage us, one wrote. For Tara Shaver, a Christian anti-choice uh, organizer and spokesperson for a group called Abortion Free Now New Mexico, TST's clinic underscored her conviction that abortion is demonic child sacrifice. Uh, do our leaders realize that they have this unholy alliance with Satanists, she says? I think it just serves to show the origins of abortion and the type of people that champion it. Um, and again, it's a, uh, it's a strange premise that there are those that are... Um, conducting these rituals that are conducting these practices that do not know the fullness and the, the spiritual backdrop to what is taking place um they are uh living a life of uh in the dark 
uh, without godly values, uh, making uninformed uh, decisions and choices, and they're actually being uh, swayed by some very, very uh, dark uh, organisations. Uh, critics on the reproductive justice side, meanwhile, condemn TST's presence as counterproductive. So as I mentioned at the top there, there are those who are uh, pro-choice who don't want an affiliation to this, who don't want their party spoiled by <laughs> having the revealing of the reality of, of, of what's at play here. Um, the anti-abortion groups took it as proof that abortion is evil. It just played completely into their narrative and it strengthened it, says Joan Lamunion Stanford. Uh, Joan Lamunion Sanford, Executive Direction uh, Director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Oh, so many of these groups got really long names. Um, her organization represents an established network of New Mexico faith groups working to protect and expand reproductive choice. Uh, it's part of a growing national movement uh, that has seen leaders and congregants from Jewish, Episcopalian, Unitarian, Quaker, Muslim, Buddhist, and many other faiths fighting abortion restrictions on the grounds of religious freedom. Um, Sanford doesn't object to TST self-proclaimed religious status or fundamental reproductive rights mission. We have no issue with that, she says. We have an issue with them using religion to be intentionally provocative and coming in here assuming they know what we need, she says. Uh, the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice has no plan or desire to work with TST. Uh, Blythe defends TST's provocation as a strategic tactic. Uh, at this point, we don't have the luxury of trying to make abortion seem more palatable uh, because we tried that and now look where we are, she says. We're just going to come out with both arms swinging completely defiant. Um, let's have a look. In June, two weeks before Alito Jr. and his fellow conservative justices killed Roe v. Wade, someone tried to burn down TST's national headquarters in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, a doorbell cam captured the incident. Uh, wearing a T-shirt printed with God... Uh, a man strides up to the front porch, pours out flammable liquid and casually flicks a lighter to set the structure ablaze. Uh, he then flees the scene, leaving behind a backpack that reportedly contained a Bible and a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, firefighters quickly extinguished, extinguished the flames. No one was hurt. Uh, police arrested a suspect who was later indicted on a felony arson count, among other char charges. He pleaded not guilty and the case is now stalled in court while he undergoes monitoring for mental competency. Uh, however it shakes out, you could say the incident offers a parable of the largest systemic forces TSD may confront as it manoeuvres to infiltrate even more hostile territory. I'm not one for condoning uh, violence or uh, destruction of other people's property, but he had a go, can't blame him. Um TST lawsuits aimed at expanding into Idaho and Indiana are now underway, placing the group's religious beliefs and practices in the crosshairs of judicial interpretation. Uh, the federal government has no mechanism in place for granting official religious status or protections to any group. When disputes arise, the courts decide. There's no guarantee TST will prevail in Idaho and Indiana, but there's a real possibility. Um... And again, it just goes into the, the use of the Fifth Amendment and basically the loopholes within the infrastructure to pass this in, in other states. Um, let's have a look.
Uh, time will tell if it's a winning strategy. In the meantime, the existing Samuel Leto Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic is focused on patient care and on raising funds, uh, which comes entirely from charitable donations and merch sales. It's had to make cutbacks recently from five nurses to three, uh, with at least two working only part-time, and it has outsourced some on-call shifts to a more affordable third-party provider. Uh, TST's legal costs are currently hovering around 15 grand per month, and that's on top of the 12 grand monthly minimum it takes to run the clinic. Says Helian, uh, echoing many abortion care workers in 2023, it's a constant struggle to keep our heads above water. Uh, this is reproductive freedom work on the cultural periphery. Part blessing, part curse. People underestimate us and think we're just trolling as a joke, but there's a gift to not being taken seriously, she says. Uh, it gives us a bit of David versus Goliath impact where we're able to sneak in at the right moment and shoot with our sling. Uh, the irony is not lost using a, a biblical uh, principle there. Um, so, yeah, there we have it. That's the uh, the satanic temple and its affiliation to... Uh, reproductive rights so-called um again uh, just to reiterate i i think that uh this is uh something that is small it's it's not you know something that's been blown up and is clickbaity and is catching the attention of far uh, of not far right of right right-sided news media and rightly so um but just a um yeah just another indication of the weird uh weird times that we're in So what do you think, as in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be at the end, another indication of uh, what's taking place. Um, again, I advocate for all you prayer warriors out there to, however you're led, to pray into these, uh, these situations and these scenarios. But again, let us know in the, in the comments what you think. So, um, our last our last area was um, something that caught my attention this week, um, which uh, a subject where I look back in my personal past and my personal history. Uh, the subject is, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. Um, it's. Uh, it's one of those conundrums. I, I think it raises some some interesting questions about uh, as Bible believing uh, followers of Yeshua, where it le where it leads us uh, in terms of how we see these uh, gray areas. Um, but I came across this premise of uh, Amish hemp farmers. Now that the Amish are a, a branch of, uh, I guess, a, 
an offset of of Christian uh, values and beliefs. Uh, I believe they came off that sort of Anab- Anabaptist um, branch of, of Christianity. Uh, the Amish are obviously very uh, famous for their traditional uh, morals and standards and ways. And uh, I just thought this was a a real interesting blend. So I'm, we're going to play a video just to just to set the tone, and we'll get into it. But we're we're still going to try it. I mean, we might we might be criminals. Who knows? Till we're done. I don't know. <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope not. You're right. We were thinking it's a good opportunity to get more on-farm income because of the eroding milk prices. I mean, we just couldn't, uh, it, the, the dairy cows just didn't compensate enough money anymore. I mean, actually, they they, uh, they took us back $4,000 a month the last two years we were farming. You're on your own. You're your own boss. I lo- I, this, this guy's accent is like unreal. I think he's awesome. Even though if you're going to farm, you're not going to work 50 hours a week. You're going to work 70 or 80, and sometimes it's not profitable. I was actually with a taxi driver, and she told me that we need to start raising hemp. There's so many uses for hemp, and tobacco, that, that only got two uses, two or three uses. So she was like, you need to raise hemp. Hemp has more money, and there's also a lot more uses to hemp. And she just she just said that you, you need to get into hemp. And she said, you'd be one of the, the pioneers, one of the trailblazers, one of the innovators. You'd be innovative. You, you, you go out, you reach out, and you do something. You, know, you don't just stay in your own grind doing corn, tobacco, hay. Just get, get out and do something else. So I said, well, I could maybe try an acre, see what this is like. And that's kind of how I got into it. Well, I just seen and heard talk about it, and then I decided not more than I'm making off of most of my land, it might be an opportunity to find something to uh, help pay for the farm, help me get ahead with my finances a little better. The future's still unknown, but because I can't afford a couple acres isn't going to put me under of, of what I'm doing. But uh, I'll just work a little harder with my tobacco to 
in case this does not work out. But uh, I won't. I did it last year, and I'll try it again. I'm, I'm not giving up the first year order, maybe not even the second year. I have two married sons that are thinking about going in partners with me this summer. And we're thinking about you know, raising maybe six acres. My son is will come back on the farm as soon as he sees hemp is profitable. He is built and he's a builder now. If it's profitable, they'll come back. If it keeps going the way it is, I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, we like to keep it in, in the family if we can. But if it's not profitable, you're not going to make them come back and work for nothing. I would be a hemp farmer. If, that's what's, if, if it's going to be profitable, that's probably where, which way we'll go. I just really hope it, they let us go through with it and then, uh, yeah, I, I want to farm him. Yeah, so uh, really interesting there, the premise of uh, we've got uh, Amish uh, farmers who were predominantly uh, farming in, in tobacco, uh, which obviously raises its own moral questions, but, uh, you know, traditional um, Christian-valued uh, people who are farming, uh, using the resources at their disposal um, to survive and earn a living, uh, Again, if we look at the uh, uh, the righteous implications of living a uh, sustain self sustainable lifestyle, farming itself, the the agricultural nature of of Torah and keeping Torah, and and the um, uh, how many people have been coming away from mainstream living in order to live a more uh, self sufficient lifestyle, uh, to assist in a more righteous uh, way of living. Uh, I just think it's a very interesting area. And so we've got these guys that are struggling on their farms uh, with the more traditional methods, uh, whether it be dairy farming or tobacco. And um, uh, these guys are endeavoring to uh, profit from the the world of hemp, uh, which uh, if you look into uh, hemp, um, CBD, that whole area has some uh, really compelling arguments in terms of the medicinal, uh, practical uh, really uh, high functioning values of the, of the plant itself um aside from the uh uh the yeah the 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 uh self medicating and using it as a way to uh, get high and all of that stuff uh, there there's there's obviously a lot of value to that so uh with that being said i came across this article in the daily mail um they got exclusive rights to uh, not the same uh, farm as we just saw, um, but a, a, a hemp farm. Uh, where was it? Uh, Pennsylvania. Um, so, yeah, inside the booming business of Amish cannabis farmers in Pennsylvania, where a green revolution is underway, uh, growers hope to sell three million worth of crops to mega firms in California and the Midwest by 2025. So, uh 
with the advent of the changing of law and legislation, particularly in the United States with regards to the cultivation and the selling and uh, even the use of marijuana, um, it's we have one of those very uh, nuanced um, arguments of when state or law in a country actually contradicts uh, the Torah um, and how people can start using the law of the land as a way to justify um, indulging in things and practices that aren't necessarily illegal by the standard of uh, the country or state, but is in contradiction to the word of God. Uh, so it, we have this weird gray area where people um, justify uh, certain vices uh, because it's okay with the local governments. Uh, and with that being said, there are, I know there are those individuals uh, in the body of Christ who uh, will use biblical uh, arguments for the use, uh, for the, um, how can I say the 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 recreational use of marijuana in their um, in their life? And again, this isn't about. I'm not here to judge or condemn. That's between the individual and and, and you are essentially. Um, everybody has their own convictions and, and whatnot. Um, uh, but what was I saying? Yeah, uh, people can use. I know that there there are those that that cite the. Uh, I, I don't know the exact. Uh, chapter and verse where it talks of the cannabosum uh that uh was used the the tincture that was made up by moses uh some advocate that there was uh an element of uh yeah marijuana that basically that's one of the the the, the viewpoints of, of justification anyway that's a that's a different uh side note um we're looking more about the uh, producing and the financial gain off the, the plant itself. So uh, Daily Mail gained exclusive behind-the-scenes access to a network of Amish cannabis farms in Lancaster County where a green revolution is underway. Uh, farmers are seeking to capitalise on the newly legalised market of hemp cultivation, which feeds a CBD industry expected to be worth $16 billion by 2025. Now, that's crazy. If you'd have told, like, 25-year-old me that there would be this uh, CBD uh, revolution in which you can uh, ascertain as much marijuana as you want legally, I would have been all over that. But uh, obviously, times have changed. Praise Yah uh, that that's no longer the case. Uh, one savvy Amish businessman is trying to pull their resources for medicinal purposes, but he admits not all within the community are being responsible. Um, so th this is going to be the, the main insight into what we're looking at today is, is where is the moral conduct in terms of uh, those that are trying to sustain themselves, uh, make a living uh, righteously, but may fall foul of um, practices that aren't necessarily in keeping with Torah. Uh, not that these guys are necessarily... Torah keepers itself uh, explicitly. Anyway, the Amish media shy, uh, our media shy, intend to shun publicity, extolling instead the virtues of modesty and humility. At their request, DailyMail.com has agreed to use only the last names to obscure their faces from any photos. So, uh, two Amish men dive into a deep sack of cannabis, scooping out handfuls of emerald buds before smelling them intensely. <laughs> Trigger warning for anyone who does struggle with this still as a believer. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to make light of it, but you may find this triggering because there's language and images that could uh, well be, I don't know, uh, 
seductive for you. Let's just say that. Uh, it's not a scene you'd ever thought you'd see. But in the beating heart of Amish country, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, a green re- revolution is underway. Uh, this week, DailyMail.com has granted exclusive behind-the-scenes access to a network of farms where Amish growers expect to sell 3 million of their product uh, uh, to big buyers across the U.S. by 2025. Uh, it's part of a nationwide trend in which the Amish, who once relied heavily on tobacco crops, are pivoting to more profitable cannabis cultivation, uh, feeling a newly legalized CBD market forecast to be worth $16 billion, uh, as I said previously. So when I first came across this, I was just like, oh, like... Uh, Amish people growing weed. That's mad. Um, here we go. We've got a couple of images. Um, uh, Lancaster County Cannabis sells a range of hemp derivative products. Um, let's, have a, let's have a look at the video. Madness. Um, nowhere is this unlikely marriage more pronounced than Lancaster County, home to the oldest and largest Amish community in the US, numbering around 30,000. Uh, but those who gave rare interviews to Daily Mail uh, say cannabis cultivation is a natural fit for the Amish tradition of organic farming that bans the use of chemicals or industrial machinery. Uh, They are convinced by its medicinal qualities, but draw the line at recreational use. Uh, Yet the community has already been embroiled in controversy after one operation was forced to shut down following an internal backlash against the marketing of its products to get high. Uh, Welcome to the improbable world of the Amish cannabis kingpins. Um... So a father of three uh, is the brains behind the operation. Born in neighboring Chester County is a craftsman by trade, having started out making sheds before working six years in a hardware store. 
Uh, he started Lancaster County Cannabis in 2020 from his basement, putting the odd pound of cannabis into a jar and taking it to small CBD and smoke shops. Uh, for years, four years on, he is looking at lucrative contracts with processes in California and the Midwest. Uh, Rael, uh, Real, which is the name, uh, dressed in traditional Amish attire, sits behind a wooden desk at the back of his store, which sells a range of homemade CBD products, including uh, lollipops, uh, vapes, and bath bombs. Jars of pre-rolled Hawaiian Hay CBD cigarettes sell around for 100 bucks a pop, but customers can also choose from a range of strains, including Critical G, Suva Haze, and Merlot. Uh, One item displayed prominently at the checkout counter is emblazoned with that well-known Amish phrase, roll me a blunt and tell me I'm pretty. It's like, I I get, I mean, from what I understand, they're selling it from a recreational point of view. Um, Some lollipops and some cigarettes and I guess that's... Like the the proper stuff. Um, uh, Rail shares the premises with a non-Amish antique shop and has access to a landline, electricity and the internet, while Lancaster County Cannabis itself boasts a polished website displaying its wares. Uh, he explains that over the past decade or so, the Amish have relaxed the rules so that certain modern amenities are allowed in a workplace so that livings can still be made in the 21st century. Uh which is which is a bit confusing because they're they're uh, famous for not using electricity for using every uh, like hand powered stuff and and whatnot and it's like <laughs> oh no you you know we don't want to use electricity but we're happy to sell weed oh, that doesn't quite add up. Um, he has uh, an entrepreneur entrepreneurial mind and speaks enthusiastically about sales figures and future growth he claims to have shifted up to five fifty thousand pounds of cannabis this year generating around 500 uh, grand in sales next year he hopes to hit the million mark without trebling to three million in 2025 uh, this year we moved more product more product than we ever did uh, we started very small but every year we're making connections uh, if these contracts go through uh, we could do a tremendous amount um, it has all been made possible by a 2018 farm bill the, which legalized the cultivation of hemp and derived products including CBD. Uh, hemp is devi- defined as a cannabis plant that contains 0.3% le- or less THC, uh, the psychoactive compound responsible for the mind-altering effects of marijuana, which is defined as a cannabis plant that contains more than 0.3% THC. Um so, yeah, you have a, a non-psychoactive compound within the plant which has medicinal healing proper, properties that has no effect, uh, that you remain sober-minded. It does, doesn't have any influence on your uh, facets, um, but it can have a, a really positive effect on uh, certain uh, afflictions and, and, and ailments. Um Farmers across the country have sought to capitalise on this new source of revenue and the Amish, steeped in agricultural tradition, have been no different. Initially, however, their efforts were disjointed. Uh, Farmers would harvest their crops, but without a ready stream of buyers. Uh, But they spotted an opportunity to position Lancaster County Cannabis as a central depot for their produce, describing his business as a gateway to locally grown Amish hemp. Uh, he now works with a group of 20 cultivators to purchase their crops and provide a one-stop shop for outside buyers. So they're getting organized with it by the sounds of it. Um, 
and it it goes on and um I think I think the what I wanted to sort of que- question or ask is not so much the legitimacy of their operation because it's uh it's one of those where um you know are they encouraging is there for them to take place in a market that is encouraging people to uh to 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 use drugs essentially like is is not a good thing um but is there scope for them to actually produce this plant and to um make a profit and make make a living from um from a from a product that doesn't uh, cause harm or doesn't uh, get people stoned essentially um is that is that legitimate but it or is it something that will just be completely appropriated and used for um uh, more uh, dodgy means basically now the 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 question that i i would I, I'm, I'm kind of more interested aside from the fact that it's like wow Amish, <laughs> Amish are, are getting organized uh with the hemp and um that that blows your head off within itself um but what i'd like to ask is the element of um as as bible believing Chris, christians um where do we stand with the i guess the medi- medicinal um properties of uh of the plant and it, and its use now just speaking candidly if if i could have found a way to justify um following christ and uh continuing a, a recreational habit of marijuana i would have found it and i would have justified it because uh personally speaking it was the biggest idol in my life it was um literally an idol in my life it was everything to me and it was praise god it was uh single-handedly the the biggest piece of deliverance in my life um and one of the biggest witnesses to those around me that saw me come away from that uh, uh from that area and um I'm so very grateful that I can uh, look at these uh, subjects and talk about it and I'm genuinely not affected or attracted by it. It's um, it's truly like a miracle in my life that I, I feel no attraction towards this. However, um, I can't deny the, the healing properties within the plant itself. And um, this is the, the crux of the question. Now, a bit like when somebody is poorly or sick or ill, and we all know about the roots of pharmacaea, the, the the ties to witchcraft. Um, you've also got the wider context of um, almost, you know, the, the I believe it's the, the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons who don't have blood transfusions. They they won't go through certain um, medical procedures because of their their uh, belief uh, and not taking part in it. The question I'm asking is like, is it? a uh a weakening of one's faith to use uh, one of these uh products uh one of these medicinal products to appease disease or affliction um are we lacking faith to not uh receive that healing in in prayer uh to be delivered of of certain things it, it's a deep question i understand because um it can really touch on some uh very sensitive areas with regards to family members and our own experiences of of affliction discomfort disease and 
how that plays a role in our in our faith walk. But yeah, I just wanted to uh, put that out there because I know there is a lot of conjecture with regards to, you know, if I have a headache, shall I take a paracetamol, uh, ibuprofen? You know, um, if I do have uh, arthritic um, pain, you know, is it okay for me to take a, a CBD that is non-psychoactive but does alleviate the pain? Or am I displaying a lack of faith um, in that? Or is or is that um, ability to heal using certain compounds and combination and, and, and tinctures? Is that not is that using the spirit of knowledge? Am I using the the you know the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations? And I know it's applicable from a scriptural p- perspective, but are there God given um, healing properties that we could utilize? Um, but has been tainted by a modern incantation of, of witchcraft and pharmacaea, which essentially all drug use is sorcery. It's, it's witchcraft and it's an abomination unto the Lord. So I want to be very specific about that. That's absolutely fine. I'm not trying to advocate or... It's just that deeper question of where do we draw the line uh, with uh, the use of certain um, uh, certain properties in, in our afflictions and difficulties um so yeah that's amish <laughs> amish weed farmers so um again please feel free to hit hit us up in the comments let us know what you think um that's about it for today actually so again a bit of a strange blend um but i hope you've enjoyed it um again feel free to reach out contact us um I appreciate the time that you spent uh, to be here. And uh, Yah willing, we'll see you again in the future. So from from our house to yours, uh, Shalom, God bless. We love you lots. Take care, stay safe, and uh, see you soon.